just to review one of the key principles in the meditation and also to uh, clarify something. Um, there's a tendency, since empathy is a core component of compassion, there's a tendency when feeling empathy, which is, which is kind of intrinsically painful, actually, empathy with someone who's um, in pain, uh, feels painful. Uh, if it's not, I'm not sure that it's real empathy. So there's a tendency then for that to rev- devolve into empathic distress or where we turn inward on ourselves and get caught up in that pain. So now we're not really present to others. So compassion is kind of a, a, a force of care that uh, is willing to be present to and with others. So in this practice, we let the intensifying empathy and even also the, the pain of the empathy uh, transform itself. I mean, we can, we can allow it to transform itself or help guide it in that way through the instruction into an intensifying kind of energy and radiance of compassion that's directed outward rather than inward. But as was raised up at, at the end of the last session, I think in a really helpful way, that can be kind of misunderstood, and it probably often is, as an imposing of something upon others. Like, well, now one's compassion is directly out, uh, directed outward toward others, encompassing them in care and compassion. So is that an imposing of something upon them, like an agenda, for example, some agenda of compassion that's not really aware of their conditions as they experience them? but just sort of imposing some compassionate agenda from upon them, from afar, that's not really knowing what they're going through. So I think compassion, if it's authentic, and these practices can help bring out compassion that can be authentic, but if it is authentic, then it's not, uh, it, it, it doesn't come with an agenda. It's simply a, a fundamental caring for others while sensing them in their layers of suffering and a wishing of them to become deeply free of that suffering and its causes. But it doesn't purport to know what all those causes are within the conditions of others' lives. So compassion is a willingness to be present to others but without imposing an agenda upon them. So how to become compassionately present to others such that the compassion can be increasingly discerning and wise. And that requires the the compassion, if it really is compassion, is an orientation toward being with and hearing and deeply listening. And that's the orientation of compassion if its orientation is primarily to imposing an agenda, then it, it, there may still be some real compassion there, but it's mixed with something else that's not compassion and not discerning and not wise. So for compassion to become more discerning and wise in the context of the conditions of the world, it needs to... I mean, compassion in its fama orientation is a deep willingness to hear to listen, 
to be informed by the experience of, of those for whom it cares. And then it can be increasingly informed, discerning, a wise kind of compassion. Otherwise, probably not. And that's kind of uh, implicit in some of the discussion we were having earlier. So in this way, some aspects of contemporary social and political theory can also be very informing for these practices in terms of uh, a touchstone on the question of how can compassion, if compassion is the orientation toward really becoming present to, really willing to be with, those who are uh, suffering, then how can that compassion become more and more discerning about how to respond? How can its responsiveness be wise and discerning, understanding what the conditions are and what people are going through or what beings are going through? And that requires deep listening. So fundamentally, authentic compassion is willing to is oriented toward hearing, toward listening, to help it become more and more and more discerning. And I think that's, that's kind of an implication of the six paramitas, but that would be brought out more and more also by linking these kinds of understandings and practices to, to contemporary social and political theory and liberation theory, if that makes any sense sort of a, a point of perhaps deep linkage for mutual informing. Are there further uh, suggestions on that before we uh, go, go on? Or is that enough for now? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's kind of guaranteed to happen if we're not looking out for it. Yeah. Great, yeah, and that's part of that's again part of the of the modern social analysis. That is what what was just said so it comes into the mic is that it's not just a matter that it could happen that this uh, uh, compassionate kind of perspective uh, kind of imposes on others its ways of being helpful. It's not that that might happen occasionally. It's that it's almost inevitable that, that, that that's going to happen. It's kind of built into part of what we mean by socially conditioned and structural kinds of causes of suffering within the power dynamics of institutions. Um, so that's, yeah, absolutely a good point. And that means, and this point was raised during a break while I was just talking with someone who raised it really uh, insightfully, or, uh, that what I would suggest is that authentic compassion, which is what we're trying to cultivate, uh, is a fundamentally not only a kind of a deepening care for beings in their, in their uh, sufferings, but also a deep willingness to really be present to them, not turn away. But that's also a willingness to really hear. 
and what we hear, and this is the point that was raised during break with, with uh, someone that was really um, insightful with us, what we hear may show how we, we ourselves and our conditions in our world intersect with the suffering, how we are, in that sense, complicit in the suffering in ways that we haven't uh, been noticing because we're not the ones suffering uh, from those dynamics. So we're not noticing that, that suffering and we're, somehow we're involved in it in ways that we don't see. And that's part of the power, I think, of structural analysis. So I guess authentic compassion would actually be a willingness to keep being informed with an awareness, as you just brought up, that uh, the default position uh, uh, is, uh, is, is one of a tendency to, um, to, to try to help in ways that uh, are not helping but, but further harming. So I think that's really a helpful further framing of all this. Uh, is there more in a kind of uh, targeted way? That was really beautifully raised for right now. Great. And then, uh, anyhow, this is all really important, really, really helpful. So if, if we can go ahead, then uh, I'm going to leave the meditation again. And I've slightly adjusted the wording, just slightly, because I got, suddenly I got sensitized by you to some of the wording in the meditation, uh, uh, thankfully. Very grateful to you for that. Okay, so let me lead it again. And uh, it's just slightly adjusted in its wording. And it may very well need further adjustment, but that's not only for me to do, but for any of you that that take up this kind of direction of practice, you may find yourself adjusting the wording even more for yourself, perhaps for others, if you eventually share it. And then uh, as I hear about that, then that would further inform me. Okay? Okay, shall we start with some abdominal breathing? That raises the question of why not? So just uh, coming down from the thinking mind into the body and taking a slow, deep breath, inhaling from the abdomen so it expands. And then exhaling slowly and completely. And can relax for a moment before inhaling again if you'd like. And then repeat that please a few times. With the slow, very slow, could be even slightly elongated out breath.
And now while still breathing from the abdomen, just let the breath go into its own natural flow while feeling the abdomen moving with the breath. And just letting that feeling draw you in more and more. And now bring to mind your field of care as present here with you now. So really here now, not just the memory. So you're being seen and held in deep care and compassion and acceptance beyond any judgments. And just relax into that experience and steep, steeping in its loving energies and qualities and letting them infuse your whole being. accepting these tender qualities and energies into your whole body and mind, every part of you loved in its very being. And now let this loving holding environment just uh, remain in the background while you bring to mind a person or group whose suffering deeply touches your heart and sensing the suffering they must be experiencing. And how must it feel for them in body and heart and mind? And what other feelings may be arising for them? as best we could sense or imagine from what we know or have heard from them. Sensing how that must feel.
So deepening your empathy in this way. But don't get stuck in the pain of this empathy. Instead, let the power of the empathy become a strong energy of compassion and swishing them free of suffering and deeply well. And let this intense energy and wish of compassion just radiate powerfully from your heart as light to that person or group, pervading their whole being and world. So the stronger the empathy, the stronger the energy of compassion. Pervading their whole being and world. And imagine this radiant energy becomes every means needed for them to be freed from the causes of their suffering in their own best ways. For them to be freed from the causes of their suffering in their own best ways. And you can let yourself take joy in their relief and joy. And you can let this strong, compassionate wish and energy radiate now to all others who undergo similar kinds of suffering, pervading their whole being and world. And imagine the radiance becomes every means needed for them to be freed from the causes of the suffering, each in their own best ways. And then you can let this compassionate wish and energy extend now to all beings who undergo the sufferings of living and dying in this world. Letting that compassionate energy infuse their whole being and world in its healing power.
And you can imagine each becoming free in that radiance in their own best way. Their best way. Finally, in this releasing phase, you can just let this compassionate radiance just help your mind to relax and settle back a bit inwardly and just release its frames of worry and concern and just become naturally wide open like space. As thoughts and feelings and sensations arise, you can just let them metabolize themselves within this sky-like openness of awareness. So, I mean, as many other Tibetan Buddhists and, and, and Buddhist practitioners uh, believe, and, and I, I do too, I think there's a, a kind of subliminal level of our being on which this energy and fundamental attitude and will of compassion 
uh, has an effect. Like um, A.T. Aryaratne, who was uh, um, the uh, developer of the Sarvodaya movement in Sri Lanka for social change based on uh, principles and practices uh, that he was drawing from Buddhism. Uh, he referred to this as the psychosphere. Uh, we tend to think of ourselves as isolated entities uh, and what A.T.R. Ayurveda was saying that was that he used to have mass meditations of metta and karuna, love and compassion, because he felt that it shifted the psychosphere, uh, which is kind of the the um, the kind of the I don't know emotional energy that we're all uh, interdependently uh, participating in and subject to, beyond what we're just obviously seeing. That the quality of our energy and emotional groundedness or, or reactivity, the opposite, when you walk in the room, is already affecting everyone around you. That's what ATR you're meant by the psychosphere. So that's kind of an ancient sense of things within Buddhist cultures and other cultures as well. And that is also implicit in this meditation. So this kind of energy and radiance and will of compassion is, is, is experienced as a kind of a force in the world for just holding all the possibilities for the possibility of more and more freedom from suffering. But what the practice is mainly doing, though, we might say, well, now I'm doing this for my suffering grandfather and he's still really suffering, and he's still really in pain, so it doesn't seem to be doing anything. Um, but still, if the quality of our presence to our grandfather can really be experienced by him as very significant, as you probably have experienced in your own experience, the quality of someone's presence to you. Nevertheless, the primary emphasis in this kind of traditional practice is on generating more and more the power of our own compassion. We're not worried about is it having immediate effects that I perceive on others this way or that way and generating this kind of energy and presence and will. Then I already mentioned something about uh, compassion always is, has to be associated with and connected deeply with wisdom or discernment. And that has been understood in large part as the wisdom of emptiness, which is the deepest level of, of freedom from identification with and grasping to, um, to our experiences, and then reacting from there in ways that become uh, harmful. So generally, compassion and wisdom as complementary principles that always have to inform each other is framed that way. But that also is framed in terms of what's called the six perfections of that's actually being in, being in the world with others uh, in a way that's oriented out of compassion and care uh, and informed by wisdom toward uh, offering, generosity, patience, 
uh, energetic perseverance with the conditions of the world, uh, meditative stability and power, stability of, of mind, and then um, wisdom of emptiness. And it's within that process that the intersection, I think, comes with um, liberation theory, modern liberation theory. That is, in the process of being in the world, participating in it, the orientation of compassion would be not only toward uh, being informed by the wisdom of the empty nature of things, which is like deepest wisdom in Buddhist terms, but also by all the... Um, what, we, what you would call uh, mundane kinds of discernment and wisdom, the kinds of knowing that's developed within cultures and societies about how things work and how things don't work and how we're interconnected and how we're mutually complicit in the things that we're seeing, that we're not uninvolved. All those kinds of wisdom and discernment, I think that especially would intersect right into the six perfections because that's the process in the Bodhisattva path of being here, participating, and learning how to participate better and better in all those kinds of discerning and wisdom. Um, one last point, and then I thought maybe we could go into small groups for a little while. In the last step of this meditation, the releasing phase, we let all the radiant energies and qualities of compassion generated in the meditation just help the mind to release its narrow frameworks um, and begin to settle into the source of those compassionate qualities is the, the, the total openness and lucidity and, and warmth of our Buddha nature. So some may think that at that stage of the meditation, that releasing phase stage, you all know what I'm referring to, mm -hmm. uh, that we're letting go of compassion. Um, Right? It could, it could seem that way. Some have thought that. Uh, because we're letting go of all the frameworks of subject and object. Uh, the frameworks, of, uh, the dualistic frameworks in which compassion has been generated. Thinking of others who are suffering. That's a subject-object framework. And in the releasing phase, we're letting go of all those frameworks to whatever degree we can. So it can give the impression that we're letting go of compassion. And, but that would actually be inaccurate in the understanding of this kind of practice tradition. Um, as I said, in the earlier steps of the meditation, we connect with qualities of compassion within a dualistic framework, a framework that can help us connect with them, like a field of care, uh, reflecting on others whose suffering really touches us. Uh, trying to sense or imagine as best we can from what we know from them or about them, how that is for them. And then in the final releasing step, we begin to reunite with the very source of that compassion in the non-dual, uh, empty, lucid nature of the mind, the empty nature in which we're undivided from all others. So at that in the understanding of this tradition at that ultimate level to abide in that very source or ground of compassion, that sky-like empty nature of, of experience, nature of mind, is in a sense, in a non-dual sense, to be in a kind of communion with others in a space of very deep kind of uh, inner freedom, 
the space of emptiness. And to abide in that, it's really beyond dualism, beyond thinking, beyond the causes of suffering. And to, be, to abide in that space uh, is to resonate with beings at that inmost uh, dimension of freedom. Kind of blessing that nature of freedom within all. Um, and um, evoking it. And in that way, helping it come to self-recognition. So I mention this because it further informs the field of care practice for those who bring up, bring to mind a spiritual field. This is what uh, the so-called Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are, are doing at the level of what's beyond all doing by abiding in this deep nature of mind, simply abiding in it, even before anything else is said or done, is resonating with that deep nature in in us. So like implicitly evoking it. I think probably uh, some of us or many of us have experienced that a little bit that sense of resonance when we're in the room with a really deep, a really deep teacher. That somehow there's a power to the quiet or to the simply being with there. As if there's a power of implicit communing or communication that's happening prior to and beyond speaking, prior to and beyond it. And that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the, the inner power of awakening, evoking that potential for awakening in 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 others, as they become um, resonant with it, uh, and um, responsive to it. So that's kind of a, a deep dimension of what field of care can also mean in this spiritual kind of field of care. Uh, let's see if there's one other thought before. So for example, when uh, one, of, one of my root teachers, Nosho Ken Rinpoche, came to Harvard. We, uh, uh, a number of us arranged for him to come to Harvard to be present there and to give a talk. And he, he was, he's passed away now, but when he came, it was 1994, he was quite renowned. He was one of the leading, leading med- you know, uh, meditation masters of the Tibetan Nyingma tradition, uh, yogic masters and scholars very unique combination of that within Nyingma tradition. And he was really quite renowned. And so all kinds of people were there, uh, Dharma teachers, Dharma practitioners, scholars, faculty of all the university. I mean, it was this enormous overflow of people. So they had to put televisions up in other rooms for people to see him. And then he was introduced and, and, and he rang the gong and then people were waiting for him to speak. And he didn't. He just sat there. 
uh, in, in his kind of uh, trademark way of just sitting with such complete relaxation that a physical therapist sitting in the front row said he had never seen anything like it. That Nosho Kempo's hand was on his knee, uh, on his own knee, and the physical therapist was sitting right in front of that, and he said he'd never seen a hand that relaxed. And he just sat like that for 20 minutes in Harvard. Everyone expecting him to speak. Didn't say a word. Just resonating. Uh, a different level of communication, perhaps, like that. And then the person who introduced him said, uh, you know, kind of came up to him and kind of whispered in his ear, you know, Kempo, people are kind of expecting you to speak. <laughs> so he said in Tibetan, he didn't speak English, so he just sort of said in Tibetan, what's there to say? And just kind of laughed. Because he's sort of... Uh, at least in, in, for many of us who, were, who, who learned uh, to practice with him, uh, uh, he, he was really abiding on a level of communication that's, that's prior to speaking. What else is there to say? So it's just an example of what I'm talking about. And I only bring it up just because it can be helpful. To, yeah. Continues the resonance. Also, telling that story continues the resonance. Now, I can feel yeah. I wasn't there that day, but I don't have to have been. Yeah. I was, makes us feel like we're there. Yeah. yeah. I'm just repeating to get in the mic. Thank you. Okay, so it may be good to have some small group. It's 4.30, we'll have to 5. Would 15 minutes be okay? So let's go into small groups. I suggest four or five people, but just see how it is. Uh, and you can spread out a bit if you'd like. Uh, please have somebody time it, so 15 minutes, and then please come back. What are we discussing? Oh, what are we discussing? <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's happening now for you? <laughs> Discuss that. What's coming up for you? What would you like to share with each other? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.